This is William Mays, President of the Criminal Defense Attorneys of Michigan, and I would like to welcome you to podcast episode number two, June 20th, 2014. In today's podcast, we're joined by Marty Tiber, who will update us on important case law developments with application for leave to appeal being granted by the Michigan Supreme Court in Lockridge to determine whether or not Apprendi will apply to sentencing guidelines in Michigan. But now with this leave grant, obviously the Supreme Court is going to take this up. And there's strong arguments in Lockridge in two concurrences that the Heron decision was wrong and that the fact that we can depart doesn't mean that Apprendi does not apply based on a lane. So if, if the Supreme Court goes with either of the two concurrences in Lockridge in the Court of Appeals by Beckering and Shapiro, then we're going to have Apprendi application in Michigan. And that's the reason why it's so critical to preserve that issue. Following that, we'll be joined by Stacia Buchanan, who serves on the Board of Directors for CDAM and has recently been appointed to the State Bar of Michigan Criminal Jury Instruction Committee. We are currently asking for people to submit requests for new instructions. Uh, There is a mandate from the Chief Justice to try and write an instruction for every crime under the Michigan law. So let me once again welcome you to the Criminal Defense Attorneys of Michigan podcast. Welcome to the Criminal Defense Attorneys of Michigan podcast. CDAM is Michigan's leading criminal defense organization whose mission is to promote expertise in criminal law to educate the bench, bar, and public of the need for quality and integrity in defense services and representation, to promote enlightened thought concerning alternatives to the present criminal justice system, and to guard against erosion of the rights and privileges guaranteed by the United States and Michigan constitutions and laws. All right, let's start the show off with an important announcement. If you intend to apply for a scholarship for the August Trial College presented by CDAM, your application for the scholarship is due no later than June 27th. So please visit the website at www.cdamonline.org and download the PDF application form. We're now joined by Marty Tiber, uh, who is uh, basically our guru on keeping up to date with Michigan Supreme Court developments, legal developments that affect uh, criminal law across the state. Uh, Marty, why don't you introduce yourself to our members? Yeah, uh, this is Marty Tiber. Um, and I just want to talk a little bit about the issue of the recently grant by the Michigan Supreme Court in People versus Lockridge in relationship to the Apprendi issue on sentencing guidelines. Uh, the leave grant in Lockridge was June 11th, 2014. The Michigan Supreme Court number is 149073. Lockridge is a published Michigan Court of Appeals decision at 304-MICHAP-278. In addition to granting leave in Lockridge, the Supreme Court also held People v. Heron, 303-MICHAP-392, in abeyance. Heron and... Lockridge, both are Michigan Court of Appeals cases interpreting the recent decision of the United States Supreme Court in Allain versus United States, which can be found at 133 Supreme Court 2151, and that's a June 2013 decision of the United States Supreme Court. What the court did in Allain was they held that the Apprendi theory, and that is that any facts not found by a jury or a trial court in a bench trial or 
admitted by the defendant in a plea cannot be used to change the minimum guidelines range. Now, they refer to the mandatory minimum guidelines range in a lane. Prior to the decision in a lane and all through Michigan's treatment of Apprendi in the Michigan cases, the Michigan Supreme Court and the Michigan Court of Appeals have held that Apprendi does not apply in Michigan because it's um, not applicable to the minimum guidelines range. Elaine may change that, and that's the critical need to be understanding of this June 11th leave grants in Lockridge because it's really important that trial attorneys preserve the issue. And that issue is simply put, if there are any facts in the determination of the sentencing guidelines and minimum range that were not found by a jury, not admitted by the defendant. They should not be included. They shouldn't be able to change that minimum sentencing guidelines range. Now, they have to change the range. They can't just simply contribute to the score. So if it's facts that when you look at the entire scoring, don't actually change the range, you don't have the issue. But if there are any facts that change the scoring to the point where the range changes, then it's very possible that ultimately the Michigan Supreme Court may rule that based on a lane, Apprendi does apply in Michigan. So again, it is very critical to examine closely your sentencing guidelines situation and determine whether any of those facts that were not proven to the jury or were not admitted by the defendant change that range and make the objection at sentencing. Right. Now, let me ask you this. Now, Apprendi, that applied to federal sentencing guidelines. It applied to the maximum uh, under a case called Harris. It, it, it versus the United States, which is another U.S. Supreme Court case, it only applied to the uh, to increases in the in the maximum sentence. Didn't apply to the, any change in the minimum range. So, and that was the problem. Uh, in Elaine, the U.S. Supreme Court actually overruled Harris and held that if it changes the minimum the mandatory minimum sentencing guidelines range, then it apprendi applies. Now, the Heron case, which I talked about before, which has been held in abeyance, right? on June 11th, along with the Lockridge leave grant, the Michigan Court of Appeals in a first out decision held that Elaine does not change things in Michigan, that because our guidelines are not a mandatory minimum range, in other words, there can be a departure, therefore Apprendi still does not apply. And that's currently ruling the situation. But now with this leave grant, obviously the Supreme Court is going to take this up. And there's strong arguments in Lockridge in two concurrences that the Heron decision was wrong. And that the fact that we can depart doesn't mean that Apprendi does not apply based on a lane. So if, if the Supreme Court goes with either of the two concurrences in Lockridge in the Court of Appeals by Beckering and Shapiro, then we're going to have Apprendi application in Michigan. And that's the reason why it's so critical to preserve that issue. In Lockridge, the judges at the Court of Appeals level held that they would follow existing law but that they did not feel that it was merited to follow existing law, but did because of Heron. Right, because, yes, exactly, because Heron was the first case out. Heron was decided in uh, December of 2013. Lockridge came along two months later, in February of 2014. And what Becker and Shapiro said was, we disagree with Heron, but it's the first case out. Now, why didn't they convene a uh, one of those panels that can you know, conflict panel, uh, it, it, you know, it, that's irrelevant right now because the Supreme Court has taken up both of those cases and held Heron in abeyance pending this, the decision in Lockridge, with it, which they granted leave on. So we're going to get a definitive ruling from the Michigan Supreme Court on this point very soon.
Okay, and when can we expect that decision? Oh, I would say within the next six to eight months. We got to have briefing and our argument, so it's possible it could be a little longer than that. But I would, I would guess, guesstimate it at that. Okay, and in terms of how this will affect an actual case, let's take by way of example. I was uh, in court the other day, and there was a sentence for aggravated assault, uh, great bodily harm, less than murder. And uh, the question in that case was whether or not points should be assessed for particular acts of brutality. If that's not proven at trial, that would not, because that does affect the minimum, would Lockridge affect this? Yeah. Uh, if those facts were not proven to the jury, and they weren't asked to find those particular facts, in other words, they, they weren't considered elements in terms of the jury trial of the offense, then if they change the guidelines range, if adding the points for those facts actually changes the range of the guidelines minimum sentence, then Lockridge, Lockridge, if the Supreme Court finds, as did Shapiro and Beckering in their two concurrences in Lockridge, then Apprendi would apply to that, and resentencing would have to be held with those facts eliminated. Now, one of the two, and I can't remember whether it was Beckering or Shapiro in Lockridge, uh, suggested that the way to uh, relieve the situation is to make guidelines voluntary in Michigan. In other words, there wouldn't be a mandatory system. Well, and then that kind of puts us right back at square one. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. I'm not, I'm not really crazy about that idea. Now, do you have any predictions on how this Lockridge decision will come down? <laughs> Absolutely not. Who would have predicted uh, that yesterday we'd have a, a decision unanimous by that court getting rid of court costs? Oh, my God, that's huge. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it, it, it's a very interesting court right now uh, for uh, a number of reasons, not the least of which is Justice McCormick. I think she's she's making a, a substantial impact on that court. And um, we'll just have to wait and see. Now, if any of our members want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Easiest, Marty at TiberLaw.com. M-A-R-T-Y at Tiberlaw, T-I-E, T as in Tom, I-E, B as in boy, E-R, law, all one word, Tiberlaw.com is my email address. And you also maintain a web page where you keep us all up to date? Yeah, that's, that's at www.tiberlaw.com. And there's a bulletin that you can click on. Uh, you go to the site, you click on uh, Criminal Law Update, and at the very top you'll see the bulletin on this, this particular point we've just been discussing. Marty, thank you so much for your time today, and I want to thank you also for the effort that you put in putting these summaries together for us. It's tremendous work. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. And again, congratulations on uh, your election this evening. Thank you very much. All right. Would you like to advertise your message to over 400 criminal defense lawyers in Michigan? CDAM is a 501c3 organization, and we are seeking sponsors to help defray the cost of this podcast. Please call 517-579-0533 for more information. We're joined this afternoon with Stacia Buchanan, who is a CDAM board member and is also a member of the State Bar of Michigan Criminal Law Section, where she previously sat on the State Bar Criminal Jury Instruction Committee, which I don't know how many of you know this, but our criminal jury instructions have now become mandatory. They've been adopted by the Michigan Supreme Court. 
The prior committee members from the State Bar of Michigan have now been transferred over to a formal committee, uh, the Model Criminal Jury Instruction Committee, through the Michigan Supreme Court. Uh, Stacia, can you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about you, please? Hi, Bill. I'm Stacia Buchanan. I practice criminal law primarily in Ingham County, and I work at Mallory, Lapka, Scott, and Seelan. Uh, and I'm also uh, past president of the Ingham County Bar Association, um, and I've only been on the Criminal ju- Jury Instruction Committee since uh, last summer. Okay. And as I was saying, these uh, Criminal Jury Instructions, this is new, and they're now available free of charge. They used to be with the Institute of Continuing Legal Education. Is that right? Yes. Yes, they were. Um all of the instructions would pass through the committee and then would be published by ICL uh, for a fee. Now they're available on the Michigan One Court of Justice website for free to everyone. However, ICL did retain their rights to the commentary on those instructions. However, our committee will be uh, adding our own commentary and use notes as uh, we come up with them. I've always found that kind of interesting, how the Institute for Continuing Legal Education was able to broker this deal with the state bar where they were able to charge a fee for basically publishing what the courts were using every day. I have no idea how that came to be, but now as a Supreme Court committee, uh, that's no longer the case. There is still a liaison from ICL uh, present at our committee meetings, and they will continue to publish their version of the instructions with their own commentary. Um, so if you want the commentary that ICL provides, you would need to continue to buy their version. But uh, the actual instructions are available to everyone for free, and I think that's a great benefit to the defense community. It absolutely is. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've either struggled myself or responded to people who are trying to get a, a recent update to a criminal jury instruction that, you know, and in my experience, I mean, every time that I've tried to get a special instruction used by a court in a criminal case, the prosecutor's uh, stock canned response has always been, uh, Judge, I'd prefer to have the standard instructions read to the jury. And 99% of the cases, the judge has always said, yeah, we're going to use the standard ones, even though back in those days it, they weren't mandatory. And now I guess they are. How did you find yourself on this committee when you were at the State Bar? I went to the State Bar website one day and just uh, looked through the uh, committees that you could apply to be on and submitted my name. There was a short application to be on the committee. And shortly thereafter, I received a letter from the State Bar saying that I've been appointed to the committee. So it was a relatively easy process to get appointed to the committee. Uh, When the committee was transferred over to the Supreme Court, Uh, All of the existing members were transferred over to the new committee. Um, However, we are now term limited. So anyone who's uh, on the committee now and their term ends uh, will no longer be able eligible for appointment to the committee. And it's my understanding that that is forever. Uh, So all of the current committee members will eventually be um, limited from ever serving on the committee again. Okay. All right. So this was an appointment, and presumably it's going to continue to be some type of an appointment now that the Michigan Supreme Court's taken it over? Yes. I have no idea what the appointment process will be. 
they've modeled this similarly to the uh, model civil jury instruction committee, and that's where this uh, rule came in that we would all be term limited. That was how they treated the civil jury instruction committee when they converted them to the Supreme Court. Uh, so uh, I, I think the appointment process will be similar to what they're currently using. Okay. Now let's talk about the composition of the actual members that are sitting there now that are making these decisions. I've noticed a few criminal defense attorneys that are on that. Rudy Sarah, who I've known for a number of years, he's running for House of Representatives in the 27th District over in, uh, oh, I think it's Berkeley, Ferndale, Royal Oak, Huntington Woods, and Oak Park. Um, so he's a friendly face, and I see Larry Shulman as well. Um, and there were a couple of others. Can Right. Um, we have Chris Smith who is uh, from the State Appellate Defender's Office, serves on the committee. Um, I believe Torsio Feaster is a defense attorney on the committee. Um, I'm kind of looking through. It's very heavy with judges, former judges, and uh, prosecutors. Oh, um, uh, we Professor, do have, Professor Ron Brents is another right. one. We do have a couple of uh, professors. We have uh, Ron Brett, and we also have Professor Mark Cooney, uh, whose primary purpose is to make sure the instructions are in plain English. Okay. And uh, for our members that don't know, Ron Brents is actually our uh, CDAM's representative on the M. Coles Committee, uh, along with a number of other uh, representatives from Michigan State Police and Sheriff's Department and whatnot else that decide how the M. Coles grant is going to be divvied up every year. Um, in terms of the prosecutors, I saw Tim Bauman, who's one of the big hitters for prosecutors. He's out of Wayne County, but he really has a, uh, a statewide presence in terms of his uh, influence. And uh, William Valancourt, you and I were talking before we started recording about uh, Valancourt. He's the elected prosecutor over in Livingston County. And uh, can you tell uh, what, what have been your experiences with Mr. Valancourt so far on the committee? Right. So of all the people on the committee, Mr. Valencourt would be the most uh, vocal of the prosecutors, I would say, and he actively advocates for uh, instructions that I would say are pro-prosecution, and he's definitely opposed some instructions that we would have felt would have been more fair to the defense. So on the committee, I would say he is one of the most vocally pro-prosecutorial members. And I think that Livingston County has a long and rich history of trying to make their influence known through case law, appellate decisions, and obviously now through jury instructions. Uh, can you uh, tell us some of the, uh, well, I know that you just had a meeting a couple of days ago on the 14th of June. What's this process like? The prior process was that the committee would vote on an instruction, and if it was approved by the majority, it would be published by ICL. The new process is that the committee is working on drafting instructions and we vote to publish it for comment. And then uh, there's a commentary period. We've decided that period will be 60 days. And after that commentary period elapses, we will review the comments from the public and determine whether to adopt the instructions. The current uh, instruction that is published for comment is for the new crime, assault by strangulation or suffocation, and any comments on that uh, proposed instruction it are due to our reporter, Sam Smith, um, by August 1st, 2014, and that is published in the back of the June version of the Bar Journal. 
our pub our comments or our instructions are published for comment uh, in the same area of the bar journal where changes to the court rules are published. Okay. So I encourage everyone to look in the back of the bar journal, look over those proposed changes, and send in your comments. And we send those to the reporter for the committee. Yes, you can probably send your comments to any committee member as well. I'd be happy to take your comments to the reporter. Um, I'm sure Professor Ron got to be happy to take comments to the reporter. Or they can be sent directly to the reporter, Sam Smith, at the Michigan Hall of Justice. Okay. How can we, I don't know, as CDEM members, how, do, how can we have an influence on changing some of the instructions that we feel need to be addressed? We are currently asking for people to submit requests for new instructions, uh, there is a mandate from the Chief Justice to try and write an instruction for every crime under the Michigan law, uh, which is rather challenging. There are probably a thousand crimes that don't have an instruction, so we want to do the ones that people need first, the most commonly uh, requested uh, crimes things that are most in need first, and so we have had some submissions. But in doing so, we're asking that with your submission that you submit a proposed instruction or a sample instruction so that we have an idea of what kinds of changes that you're looking for and something to work from to figure out what would be best moving forward. And uh, in terms of uh, the current instructions that you're working on, can you give us a little insight into what's What's going on there and what sort of rules are you looking at changing right now? We've had requests for a number of instructions that would be new. Um, top of the list is an OWI medical marijuana instruction to reflect people versus Coon. Uh, we also have a high BAC request for a jury instruction and a request that there be a verdict form drafted for that. Um, driving while license suspended causing injury. Uh, lying to the police during a major felony investigation, which is another new crime. But what we've actually been working on so far, um, next to be published for uh, comment after the strangulation one is uh, published, is the OWI instruction. Uh, there is a change in the law to reflect uh, intoxicating substances, and so the changes are to reflect that particular change in the law. Well, it's good to know. I. I until I spoke to you, I didn't even realize that there were substantial changes that were being proposed to these drunk driving jury instructions. And here I am, I'm practicing drunk driving defense. Well, what about the more fundamental jury instructions? Like, I think, for example, our beyond a reasonable doubt instruction is, is terribly pro-prosecution. And I've, I thought that at first that maybe I was off base, but I've had actually a number of judges agree with me that it's not written very uh, clearly, and this uh, whole idea that, in a, I think it says something to the effect that a reasonable doubt is a fair and honest doubt growing out of the evidence or lack of evidence. Uh, it is not a imaginary or a possible doubt. And what I've told jurors in the past is, uh, you know, if I were representing in a hypothetical case, twin brothers, one of which was caught on video and uh, robbing this liquor store. We knew that this person had committed this felony, uh, but we couldn't distinguish that person from his twin brother. A possible doubt, if they were both on trial, uh, would, I, I don't know, it seems to invite a jury to convict both people. Because it's, 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 we know that one of these people is uh, guilty, and it's just possible that the other one's innocent. And if you 
have a proposal for better language, um, I would suggest that you consider submitting that to the committee because right now that's not one of the instructions that they're looking at reviewing. They have to uh, consider trying to keep up with changes in the case law, changes in the statutes, and then writing instructions for all of the new laws. But if there's a need for an instruction to be changed, certainly that should be brought up. And the more requests we receive for a change, the more likely it is to be put at the top of the list. And so uh, to get the defense attorneys to submit requests for things that are important, like a change to beyond reasonable doubt, an impact can be made uh, to show the committee there is a need for this change. Good. And you had told me earlier that there's, unless there's a real compelling reason to revisit these rules that have already been kind of written into stone, they won't unless the court or uh, unless the court instructs them that something is improper. Right. We have had that issue where the committee will not put anything into an instruction unless there is a case law or a statute that says it's so. And that's some of what we ran into with revising the eyewitness identification instruction. The case law uh, doesn't dis disapprove of the instruction as it's written and doesn't require that the instruction be written a different way. And so the committee was reluctant to change the current instruction unless the court has told them that it has to be changed. Um, and that is also true with taking language out of instructions that doesn't perhaps belong, such as in the domestic violence instruction where it talks about um, a, a forceful or violent touching that's intended to embarrass or harm a person. The word embarrass doesn't appear in the statute, and it somehow appeared in our jury instruction at some point, and now throughout the case law, it's sort of been adopted. Anytime the case references embarrassment, it's only referencing the jury instruction. It's not referencing uh, another case. It's not referencing a statute. So the committee is reluctant to take the word embarrassment out of instruction until a court has said that that instruction is incorrect. Conversely, um, the larceny from a person instruction is amended uh, now, and it did not get published for comment because the amendment uh, was created by case law. Um, there's a Michigan Supreme Court case that states that larceny from a person um, must occur in the person's immediate presence and the language of the jury instruction also talked about the immediate area of control. The Supreme Court has now said that is not sufficient to convict somebody from for larceny of a, from a person. So that language has now been deleted from the instruction and should be published on the website shortly. Okay, and I also noticed that there were some uh, there was a revision to the felon in possession of a firearm that was published on the Michigan State Court website as a revised rule that was also submitted without a, a comment. Right. If it's a change that isn't um, substantive, uh, they have uh, some of the changes can be done without comment. And I think that the committee does have some leeway to decide what things can be changed without comment. And if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, this opens up an opportunity for appellate attorneys, and maybe the courts are going to be more inclined to address specific language in these instructions so that an appellate attorney who's working on a criminal appeal might suggest to the higher court that they give a proper instruction so that it would be adopted then by the committee. Yeah? I would hope so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Is there anything else that you can think of that uh, might be helpful for our members to know about this new process? The opportunity for commentary, I think, is an opportunity for even non-committee members to let our voice be heard. Uh, the committee is 21 members, and there are approximately five or six defense attorneys. So we're underrepresented on the committee. And um, in order to make sure that the defense is fairly represented in the drafting of the instructions, the commentary is very important. In addition, there will be opportunities to be appointed to the committee in the near future, and it would be important for more defense attorneys to apply for those appointments. I mean, it was shockingly easy for myself to be appointed to the committee when it was a state bar committee, and part of me thinks that's because not enough people apply for that job. Um, but in order to get a change to the instructions to the point of commentary, it has to get through the committee. So we need enough voices on the committee to make sure that it even gets to the point of being able to be published for commentary. And although these rules, according to the Michigan Supreme Court, are supposed to accurately reflect the law and fairly and impartially instruct the jurors, we all know that a difference in a few words can make all the difference with how the jury perceives the evidence. So I agree with you that we really need to make this a, a high priority uh, with the criminal defense bar. Uh, Stacia, uh, is there uh, some way that our members can get a hold of you, or, or anybody for that matter, to be able to convey their concerns or anything like that or suggestions for jury instructions? Sure. If anyone wants to contact me about the jury instructions, you can reach me at 517-482-0222, or my email is sbuchanan at mclpc.com. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Stacia. Thanks, Bill. That wraps up this episode of the Criminal Defense Attorneys of Michigan podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this free audio presentation. If you like the show, give us some feedback and subscribe to this show on iTunes. Copyright 2014, Criminal Defense Attorneys of Michigan, all rights reserved. You may download and freely redistribute a copy of this podcast without charging a fee, but you may not modify, delete, or extract any portion of this podcast without express written consent. The music contained in this podcast is licensed under Medio, with all rights retained by the original author. Check out Donia Oxford's website at www.doniaoxford.com. That's D O N A O X F O R D.com. Got to stand.